Well, I was really surprised that Roy didn't ask me what today's fruit of the Spirit was. But it's getting easier and easier to guess. We're down to the last three. Love, joy, and faithfulness. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the schedule. Okay, faith and love is going to be last. That has been my plan the whole time. So that means the only two that are left are joy and faithfulness. And there's only two weeks before we get to love. So this week, today, we're looking at joy. Next week, it'll be faithfulness. The following week will be love. So joy, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's what the Word of God says. That's what uh, we find in First Peter, excuse me, in uh, uh, Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. And as we've been doing for the last number of uh, weeks, we've looked at what the actual Greek word was um, that was being translated into those various words. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And the word joy in the English language is the word kara in the Greek language. Um, yeah, thank you. I finally was able to, to get some slides that would work. So this is what you're seeing on the screen is the Greek in the black. Um, and I don't know the Greek letters, so you just see it. It looks like X-A-P-A. looks like, but it's pronounced and you see that accent over the last A, and that's hara. So the, the accent's on the last syllable, hara. And that means joy. It's a noun, for those of you who are into grammar. So the word hara means joy. It is a noun. Now, let's bring the next slide up. Um, the word hara is the root word for chairo, which is up in the upper left-hand corner. So, go back one slide. Chara, H, I mean, the X-A-R-A, then go to the, the next slide, upper left-hand corner, X-A-I-R-O. And it's chairo. Chara is the root of chairo. Okay? And I may be emphasizing the X too much, I'm not sure. But this is the verb rejoice. So if you're talking about joy, it's hara. If it's the verb jo rejoice, it's chairo. Ha-iro. Chairo. Okay? The problem is that's not the only Greek Verb that means rejoice. Agaliayo. 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 Agaliayo is the bottom word. It means rejoice. It also means exalt, be glad. But so does the top one. The top one can be be glad, rejoice, be happy. It can even mean be content. <sighs> It's not easy. It is so aggravating. It is so frustrating because I can never, ever just give a simple answer when you don't know the original language. Thankfully, I have tools available to me that help me, but I at least want you to understand when you're reading the English sentence, 
You can, if it says the noun of joy, then you know it's, it's hara, hara, excuse me. If it's the verb, then it's either one of these two. And, just to add more fun to this, the agaliayo, agaliayo, however it's pronounced, that only occurs 11 times in all of the Bible. So most of the time that you see the word rejoice, be glad, it is chairo, chairo. So what does that mean for you? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, if you think about various joyful stories, various, I was trying to think, what events in the Bible are talked about as being joy-filled, or people being full of joy, or rejoicing? And the one I thought of was the story we just talked about with the kids, about King David, dancing before the Lord, being joyful. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But if you think about the New Testament, one of the earliest, earliest stories of someone rejoicing is found in Matthew chapter 2. And it's the story of the Magi. The Magi are, tra- are traveling from the east. They come to the land of, of Palestine or, or Israel. They, they come to Jerusalem. They meet with King Herod. They tell him why they're there. They're looking for the king of the Jews. King Herod then sends them on their way. And it says that in, in chapter 2, verse 9, I think it is, or 8, it says, the star appeared to them again and well, here it is, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When the Magi saw the star, they they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay? So, they with That's the very first verse in the New Testament where we see these words being used. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you feel edified? You can go home now. You now know that's what it means. It means to rejoice. So that's what the speaking English version said. So what does that mean? Oh, I want to tell you. If you go further into the New Testament in the book of, Rev- uh, the book of uh, Philippians, in verse chapter 4, verse 4, you see the word chairo again used twice in that one verse. And it is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. So, in that case, it was being used as a command. The Apostle Paul was telling the Philippians, Cairo, in the Lord always. It's so important, let me say it again. Cairo! What does it mean? Means rejoice. But what does it mean? I then started thinking, I really, really, really wish that I had the opportunity in Bible college to study both Hebrew and Greek. Because for anybody who knows the history of the scriptures, the Old Testament, for the most part, was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. But, there was at some point in history 
a version of the Old Testament that was translated from the original Hebrew into Greek so that it could then be studied by people of the world who were coming to faith as Jews, who were proselyting to the Jewish faith. And that Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. If you have a study Bible, you may see sometimes a note that says LXX. That's the Roman number 70. And that refers to the Septuagint. Why? I don't remember. It's been too many years since I went through college. But it has to do, I believe, with the number of scholars that were translating, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is, when you see LXX, Roman numeral 70, you know that that's talking about the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. So we do have the Septuagint available to us, so we can indeed see what the Greek words are in the Old Testament. So I looked up what the Greek words were in the Old Testament when it comes to rejoicing. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, in verse 12, it says this. Now, this is God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. And he says, You shall samach, which is Hebrew, before the Lord your God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your town, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Now, Samach is translated into English as rejoice. So if you look at the word Samach in Hebrew, and compare it with Cairo from Greek, I learned this as I studied it. In the Septuagint, Almost always, the word Samach is translated Cairo in Greek. So what that's saying is, where you see the verb rejoice in the Old Testament, most of the time you can understand that it's the same word as rejoice in the New Testament, except for those 11 times when it's not Cairo, when it's Agaliyayo, or whatever it is. <laughs> so then you have to discern going to Okay, but, but let's, let's, look, let's look at that. What is the command there? The command in Deuteronomy, which I thought was intriguing to me. I've read it, I've read it, I've read it, I've read it. For 45 years I've read it, but it never jumped off the page except this week. God himself commanded, when you come before the Lord, you, your kids, your servants, even the, the people who live within your towns who have no portion or inheritance, Everyone, when they come to worship me, there's an expectation from me that you will rejoice before me. Hmm. Now we see why there's charismatic and Pentecostal Christians. They're the only ones following the instructions of God. Because they're the only ones that are, that are rejoicing. Everyone else is sitting like a bump on the log, just studying just learning, just wanting to be heady in their practice of their religion. <laughs> Do you see how the enemy has tried to cause division? It didn't happen in this congregation a number of years ago. I've literally had people say to me, Pastor, they just sit there and they don't even participate in worship. What do you mean they don't participate in worship? They were here. Well, they're not raising their hands. Their eyes aren't open. 
They're writing notes in, the, in their little book instead of standing on their feet and praying. Maybe it's how you understand worship and practice worship. So, what I see here in Deuteronomy, God himself saying to his people as he's giving them instructions on how they're to relate to him, is when you come before me to worship me, I expect to be an attitude of rejoicing. That then leads us into this idea of David, right? He's so excited. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant and he dresses in a linen ephod just like all of the other Levites. As he's walking with the baby, he's so excited. He's dancing around, worshiping God. It literally says every six steps they stop and they worship. And it's this powerful, powerful, glorious, charismatic, Pentecostal experience. And what happens? His fundamentalist wife is standing on a balcony, looking down her nose at him. And she says, look at you, that's like a monkey half naked in the street. And his words to her, which were unkind because they had a really bad relationship, his words to her were, I'll do even worse than that if I have to in order to honor God, because I'm not worried about what I look like while I worship. I just want to worship God in a way that he receives. And I thought about that. Okay, so God, if you are declaring to Moses at the very beginning of how his worship to be done, that you say we have to rejoice when we come into your presence, what does that look like? How does that work? And then as I did the word study, I got frustrated because, like I said, even with the context of the sentences, it's hard to understand the difference between Cairo rejoicing and Agaliayo rejoicing. What do they two of them mean? And so I had to do a little bit more of a word study. So I'm going to take you through, first of all, I'm going to give you the definitions of these two words. And then we're going to look at some verses that have the two different rejoices, the two different verbs. And hopefully it will give us an understanding of what's being said more clearly than just simply saying rejoice. Okay? So, again, hara is the noun, joy. Harayu, harayo, excuse me, is the verb. And it means to be cheerful. To be calmly happy. To be well off. Think about that. What does that mean? We'll talk about it in just a second. The other one, Agaliyayo, Agaliyayo, means to jump for joy. To exult. To be exceedingly glad. To greatly rejoice. To greatly exult. To exceedingly be glad. And that only happens 11 times in the, in the New Testament. Most of the other times when you're commanded to rejoice, it's to be calm and at peace and peacefully 
delighted, calmly delighted, cheerful. Does it make sense? Calmly happy. So, one last thing before we get into the, into the verses. Charles Spurgeon, when he was teaching on this idea of being calmly at rest in your cheerful, glad, rejoicing. If you look at, and we'll talk about one of these verses in a second, but there's a verse that he was specifically preaching on, and it says, when you are facing troubles, and when you're going through hard times, and when you've got a lot of stuff going on in your world, you're being commanded to rejoice. Isn't that contradictory? How in the world is that an expectation that's even reasonable and practical? And he gave an illustration out of sea, the, the, the sea, the maritime world. And basically what he said was, it is, it is understood by people who, who sail the seas, who study the seas, that there are literally areas of the ocean where there are currents that almost go in opposite direction or in tandem to each other. And they don't negatively impact each other. In other words, this current continues to flow this way without disruption. This current continues to flow this way without disruption. And you can be in both at the same time. And if this is the one that's got the storm, and this is the one that is peaceful and calm and rejoicing, it is possible for you to be in the midst of a storm and still be at rest in your soul. It depends on what you're focusing on. It depends on how are you responding. Take this to the next step. Take it to the story of Peter and Jane. And Peter and the disciples in the boat and the storm and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, come to me. And Jesus says, come to me. And Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking and he is successful. He is successfully overcoming gravity and physics. As long as he keeps his eyes on Christ. But the moment he takes his eyes off of Christ and looks at the circumstances in which he is, his focus goes from the calm, peaceful portion of the ocean to the storm that's going on, and he then begins to sink, the Bible says. He doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that he goes, boom. The Bible says he begins to sink, which I always find that to be true. It's like Jesus is giving him an opportunity to get his eyes back on him before he finally goes under. But he still doesn't get it until Jesus finally reaches out and grabs him and pulls back up and they get into the boat. He's like, man, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Man, you were right there. So what I see in this is kind of is that undercurrent of joy, regardless of what's going on on the surface. I can be calmly, glad, at rest in my spirit, experiencing rejoicing within me, even when the world is going to hell in the handbasket. Even when my boss is yelling at me because I'm not being as productive as my boss wanted me. Or maybe my boss is having a bad day and just taking it out on me. Or maybe I'm not getting all my work done at school or whatever the case may be. Maybe there's all this stuff running around in my world. I can still have a spirit and a, and a peace inside of me that, that causes rejoicing. 
a calm exuberance of gladness and, and joy. Regardless of this. Now, let's look at some of these verses that talk about rejoicing and see if we can get a little bit of an understanding knowing if it's Cairo or Agaliaio. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We've already talked about it. That's Cairo. Rejoice, Cairo, in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Cairo. So, with Cairo, it is something that you can be commanded to do. Right? He wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. If the teacher is telling the student, if the pastor is telling the parishioner, be rejoiceful, filled with Cairo, which is the calm exuberance, not yeah, exuberance, the calm joy, the gladness at rest, if you will, not the jumping for joy kind of rejoicing. And I'm telling you again, rejoice. So it is something you can choose. It is something you can practice. Goes to that idea I said of the fruit of the spirit being joy. You can actually reach in and say, "I choose to respond in joy." That doesn't mean I'm jumping around with a flag and banners waving, going, "Woohoo! Woo! God is so good!" I can be going through a real hard time and still, in my heart, be at peace and, and have joy, and I have a calm gladness about me. Deuteronomy, I mean, excuse me. Um, Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus himself said this. Rejoice and be glad. Do you know what those words are in Greek? Cairo. And. Agaliaio. What? <laughs> okay, Jesus, I can't understand when my world is crazy and things are bad and I'm being persecuted and all these people are being mean spirited to me and they're calling me down and they're telling me, how could you possibly believe that? I can understand Cairo. I have, I'm, I'm joyful in all of these trials. I am still experiencing Christ's love and grace. And did you know the word, uh, 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 the, the word for grace is part of this Cairo idea in Quran? It's part of that. It comes from the same root area, grace. So I can experience all that, but you're telling me you want me to be exuberant in my gladness? When I'm going through these trials? Because Jesus himself said it. It wasn't somebody interpreting Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Cairo and Abelio, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I would submit to you that the rejoicing exuberantly is not because you're going through trials. I would submit to you that the agaliyah that you're expected to do is because you have a hope of a future in heaven with your father in heaven. 
I can be at peace and have joy in it's a calm, steady, cheerfulness because I'm going through a trial, but I still have God here present with me. And I can whoop it up with the best of them because someday this is going to be over with and glory to God. I could be with Jesus. And I see Jesus giving us that command. When you're going through hard, hard, hard times, a steadying undercurrent of joy, and you can even, woohoo! Jesus is going to come back someday and I'm going to lay off all of this stuff. You see that? Rejoice and be glad. Both. And they're both commands. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. We started by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 8. I mean verses verse 8 where I said you know what I think I did that. I think I skipped that one. Let me go back to that one. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and Adeliaio with joy Hara that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though I don't see God, though I can't touch Him, I can't smell Him, I can't taste Him, I can't hear Him, I can believe in Him. And as a result, I can celebrate with whooping and joy. I mean, I can celebrate whoopingly with joy, with kara. And that celebration and that joy that I'm celebrating is inexpressible and filled with glory because I am going to obtain the outcome of my faith, the salvation of my soul. Sorry, that was the very thing that I was supposed to start with and I totally spaced it. So, the verses just before that, as we're coming towards the end of the sermon, is Jesus, I mean, Peter was admonishing his listeners. Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you apoliaio, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials. You have been grieved by yourselves, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes as though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what I what I have learned through this study, what I have learned through this study, is that there's two ways of expressing joy. Sometimes it's just a calm gladness, a steady, things are good, even though they're not necessarily good from the outside, but things are good. I know that I know that I know that he's there with me. He never leaves me. He always takes care of me. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He's my anchor. He provides me with grace when I don't deserve it. There is a hope for me in heaven. He's going to come back someday. 
And if nothing else is good here, I have that to hold on to. And I can make it through this time of trial. At the same time, there is this the form of expressing joy and rejoicing that calls for the flag waving and the stomping and the jumping up and down. And some of us are ease, feel more at ease doing that. And some of us don't. And some of us do it privately in our own home when we're worshiping or when we're walking through the woods worshiping or whenever. And none of us need to worry about the other person in the way that they are expressing their joy. None of us need to. What we need to do is encourage every single one of us to express joy. Because the Word of God declares that it is, respond, it, is, it is a requirement. Number one, when you come into God's presence, you are to be joy-filled. You are to be expressing your joy before God. That's Deuteronomy, that's basic. How do you express it? Well, sometimes you express it through a statement, through the, uh, that, that expression of, I, I know there's an undercurrent that's keeping me here. Sometimes you get up and down and woo woo Renee said that when her father was pastoring in Oklahoma many, many, many years ago, I think it was even before she was born or when she was just an infant, there was a man who sat near the front of the, of the church. This is back in the 1950s. And he would sit in that church in Oklahoma and he would begin rocking as the pastor's preaching. And then he'd start to get red in the face. And the ladies of the church who had small babies were watching him. Because he reached a certain point where he would jump up, woo! And at that moment, all the young mothers clapped their hands over the ears of their babies. Otherwise, all of the babies in the church would be crying and screaming because that man scared the daylights out of them. My mother-in-law tells stories. She grew up in Nazarene Parsonage back in the early part of the century. She tells stories of a man in the Midwest who would get so blessed at a camp meeting, that he would literally run the backs of the pews, up and down. And people in the church would just lean over and let it go by. <laughs> now, is there anything wrong with that? No. I can remember, I'm not going to call out anything, but I can remember times in this, own, this century right here, where God had moved in such a powerful, powerful way that people demonstrated their love for him and their joy in ways that others were like, And we just need to accept and understand that each one of us respond differently at different times, and we need to extend grace. And the bottom line, like I said, is all of us need to come to this room when we come before God with an expectation that we are going to come in here rejoicing regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our certain situation. It doesn't mean we're all going to be flag waivers. It doesn't mean we're all going to be whooping and hollering. But it does mean we're all coming here to rejoice before God. And to just express, if nothing else, the undercurrent of joy that is available to us. And then sometimes, little eruptions that happen. Because only 11 times in the, in the, in the New Testament is the flag waving. But it's there. So that means it is possible. Old Testament has it too. David danced around half naked, like a monkey. But his heart was, I'm going to dance before God because I love God and I want to honor God. I will tell you, there are many times, it has happened over and over and over again, there are many times that I would have jumped up and danced in this service except I didn't want you guys to be distracted by an old fat man. 
trying to dance when he doesn't have any drink or any skill. But there are times when I just want to jump up and down and go, glory to God! But I can't do this. Got a Cairo, not a Bliaco. <laughs> and I don't, I, honestly, I don't believe that I'm doing anything in disobedience. I just, honestly, I'm not trying to be careful and considerate of other people. But at the same time, I don't ever want to quench the Spirit. Because I was reflecting on that too. God, have there been times when I was supposed to ugly eye when I should have, but I didn't for whatever reason? Hmm, let me think about that. I don't feel any condemnation. I don't need to make any confessions right now. But I just, that was something that I reflected on as I was looking at this and preparing this. So I encourage you guys. First of all, rejoice. I'll say it again, because it's in the Bible. Rejoice. And you choose how you do it. But know that it's all acceptable. As long as the heart is that you want to rejoice before God. And you want to honor God. And you want to bless God. And you want to tell Him how much He means to you. And even if you're going through the hard stuff, recognize there's that undercurrent of joy that's always available. Always there. And you can experience it even when everything else is going crazy up here. And when you're struggling with it, take your eyes off the storm. Put your eyes back. On Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to I want to honor you. I want to give you praise. I want to give you glory. I want to experience rejoicing as I'm in your presence. Help me, Father, to not in any way hinder your Holy Spirit as you're trying to move in my life. Out of fear, concern, or even consideration for others, Father, help me to be free as I try to worship you and honor you through my rejoicing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.